Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's a real pleasure to welcome Rabbi Yehuda Sarnu to our conversation today. Rabbi Sarnu and I go back about 20 some years, back to this little town called Wild Rose, Wisconsin, where I got to meet him and his young family at the time. And since then, he has risen in prominence in the world, starting out about 18 years ago at his work at NYU, where he continues to be. My alma mater, by the way, Rabbi. And also, and also most recently made it in the news because in, 19, in 2019, he was appointed the chief rabbi of the UAE, which we have to find out about it. So a little bit more to get a little bit more of the backstory. So Rabbi, thank you very much. And welcome to uh, Congregation KINS. Well, it's great to be with you. And, and you know, my opinion is that uh, from a career standpoint, it's basically all downhill from being Rosh Mosh at, uh, at Campbell Shabbat, well, Wisconsin. So, by the way, I, I completely agree with you on that. It's me, it's always been, if I see someone with a Rosh Mosh when I want to hire, I know they'll be great. <laughs> I'm sure that's what got you the position at, uh, at NYU at the time. <laughs> so uh, let me start out with the obvious, with the, with the chief rabbiship. You're in New York. I only know one other chief rabbi who is in, splits his time between New York and another country, and that's Michael Shudrath in Poland, where he's back and forth. But what does it mean to be a chief rabbi, first of all, of a country, an Arab country that's even before it had relationships with Israel? How did that happen? Uh, well, uh, as I mentioned, I've been at New York University for uh, since 2002. And um, NYU, and at, at that point, had a few campuses outside of New York City and was looking to really establish itself as a global network university, to have campuses really all over the world in cities which in, in one way or another resembled New York. And, um, and I already had about six in, in, in Europe and one in Buenos Aires, but then they said, okay, how can, we, how can we really become a global network university? And so they looked to the Middle East and obviously one choice was uh, Israel and work began on that in the late 2000s, uh, but never. But they also wanted to be in the Arab world, and uh, and Abu Dhabi emerged as a uh, as a front runner. And there was a real meeting of minds between the president of New York University, John Sexton, and uh, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi. And I, I came for the first time in 2010, um, before the university opened its doors, to help interview high school seniors who were coming in from really all over the world to seek admission at, um, at NYU Abu Dhabi, which, uh, which uh, unlike other sites that NYU had was not a study abroad campus where people go for a semester, it was a four year college. Um, and, and, um, and, and it was designed really as a world, world's honors college. I, I came, I, I, of course I was there for the weekend I kept Shabbat, obviously, and welcomed other people, whoever was interested to join me for Shabbat dinner. And then once this campus opened, every year, a handful of Jewish students, but even more Jewish faculty, Jewish administrators, some of the key people who built NYU Abu Dhabi have very strong Jewish identities, some children of uh, Holocaust survivors, some uh, Israeli, actually. And... Um, and I was taken. It was transformative for me. So I began going every year, once or twice a year. 2016, I heard that in the neighboring emirate of Dubai, but an hour, an hour and a half away, there was a regular Shabbos minion that was happening. 
you know, uh, NYU Abu Dhabi really depended, Jewish life depended on who was there at the time. There was a faculty member who wanted to organize, then there was Rosh Hashanah, there was a, uh, someone who wanted to organize Pesach, the Seders, they got the Matzah, but it didn't have the same kind of consistency as a, as a, as a uh, that uh, rhythm that a community needed. And in Dubai, there was, there was a Shabbos menu that started in people's homes. And, uh, and, and I went over there, I remember it was right before Hanukkah, uh, I gave a shir on where should you place the, the Hanukkah inside the home, like the, uh, uh, like became common practice or outside the home to, to, to ensure that there's maximal Pirsu Menisa uh, as the Gemara originally states. And then it was almost like an explosive topic because many people at that point, although look, people moved there willingly. It's not like they were trapped there. It's not like they were refugees from another country. People coming from all over the world for safety and security and for economic opportunity. They chosen to be there. And they felt welcome there. And they knew that they were building the first new Jewish community in the Arab world in centuries. And uh, and on the other hand, you know, they would tell their kids, when you go to school, don't share this little secret with everybody. And uh, we don't know exactly how uh, your other neighbors are going to respond. And so it was almost like the placement of the Hanukkah issue was very, very poignant. I, and, and so I began to advise them as they were charting their course, what were the next steps. Um, later that year, they said, you know, we might uh, rent a building to serve as the first synagogue. What do you think about that? And, uh, and then in 2019, this was the real push. Uh, um, 2019 was being uh, themed as the year of tolerance, which was gonna bring visibility and spotlight to all the religious minorities in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, the largest of which was, you know, the Catholic religion. There's millions of Catholics, about a million Hindus, um, and uh, even on a very small scale, the Jewish population. But uh, but you know how Jewish people are, despite our size, despite our, our, our small size, somehow we still make an impact. And they felt like they needed a religious leader who could help account for the the, the very wide diversity of the Jewish community, of Jewish people who were there, coming from all over the world, Ashkenaz, Sephardi, uh, uh, Orthodox, conservative, reform, secular, uh, used to be Jewish, uh, a half Jewish, et cetera. So uh, given my work at, at, at the Hillel, at the Bronfen Center at NYU, um, and my history with them and my history in the region, uh, it, it seemed like a, a good choice. And my only condition with them, Rabbi Mitanki, frankly, uh, um, was that I said, uh, my only condition is that I, I don't want to take any money for it because I don't want anybody to say, uh, you know, what is the line that Avram says, Ani has is Avram, uh, for anybody to claim them doing it for the, for the money. So, so I do it because I believe in it. And, and here we are after these, uh, the Abraham Accords and in a month where 50,000 Israelis are, are, are visiting, where Hanukkiot are, are all all over the city uh, where we're using in the community, we're, we're using Hanukkiot that were gifted to us by a uh, delegation of, of Israeli mayors that came in last week before Hanukkah. Um, so, you know, unbe un un unbelievable things that we're seeing. And um, and now the Hanukkiot are outside. They are outside. When you were originally giving that shear, you were saying to put them outside? We, I was not teaching Allah on my side. I was teaching, um, I was learning uh, Lishma. So 
Uh, but I, I did it to induce, really to induce the conversation about the nature of identity. And look, in the room, there were 20 people, 20 different nationalities, and there were Jews there from the United States, Canada, um, from uh, Belgium, from Switzerland, from, there's a, a person there from uh, Damascus. Uh, this is, uh, you know, as the, uh, you know, the civil war was raging in Syria, there was some, and in the community, there's somebody who grew up in Lebanon, whose mother is a Lebanese Jew who never left, who continues to live in, in Lebanon. There are people from Tunisia. So I was teaching in this room and you know what it's like to walk into a room and sometimes you know everybody, sometimes you never know what you're gonna get. And people have different levels of comfort uh, depending on where they grew up. One of the reasons why, why there's so many Europeans and Brits who were there, Jews, I mean, is because they got tired of going to shul uh, and needing to present their passport and needing to go through, walk past gendarme or, or through a bullet-plated thing. So, and, and sadly, um, you know, there's increased, uh, increased concern, especially over the past two, three years uh, for American Jews. And the UAE is a very safe country and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and we never wanted to, even though over the years, there have been different organizations or individuals which have offered, oh, you know, maybe we can help you take care of security, we can advise you, you know. Um, we've declined that because it's actually a badge of pride for the authorities that they are able to create a safe, secure environment for any religious group that wants to practice. So how often do you get there? So I've been going, um, since I, I, was, uh, I was appointed as chief rabbi, I've been going four times a year and increasingly with, uh, with our family. Um, so, but I was there this year, it's probably going to end up being more now, uh, but I was there for Rosh Hashanah and then um, I was there again for Sukkot and now I'm about to get on a, a plane on Motzei Shabbos, we're going to go for, for about 10 days. Um, we would have gone for Hanukkah, but uh, one of my kids is in quarantine and, and very grateful that my kids are in school and the school is meeting in person and they're thriving, but, um, but uh, um, and, I mean, the, 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 uh, and, and we're doing a lot virtually. I mean, uh, who would have guessed? I mean, uh, this is really, ironically, I'm seeing so much more of my, my congregants than previously. Um, when Corona hit right away, we went to a Zoom Kabbalah, you know, pre-Shabbat, uh, Kabbalah Shabbat, you know, a little taste of Kabbalah Shabbat. And in the beginning, you know, 20, 30 people, uh, you know, lockdown, people looking for information, a sense of community, resilience. But over those months, it kind of built. And then we had Jews, not just from Abu Dhabi and Dubai and Sharjah, which are part of the United Arab Emirates, but also Jewish people from Oman and Jewish people from Qatar and Jewish people from Kuwait and Jewish people from Saudi Arabia and from Jordan who were joining us. And then uh, Jews from the United States wanted to participate and Jews from Israel. And then when the, and we would invite on very prominent guests because we could do it, it's right before Shabbos. So we had, you know, very prominent Emirati uh, political figures who attended and uh, including Mohammed al-Mubarak who's building the, um, the uh, Abrahamic family house, you know, that complex in Abu Dhabi mosque, church, synagogue, 
Dr. Ali al Noemi, who's been the architect of the anti-radicalization programs of the UAE, uh, the, the, the Minister of Youth of, uh, of the United Arab Emirates, who actually is an NYU Abu Dhabi alumna and the youngest minister in the world, and um, who, had a, who, who speaks so fluently about Judaism from her semester that she spent in New York. Um, and her, her pre-Yom Kippur address was actually, it went viral, it was po posted on the Times of Israel. And, and, and it was shared 2,000 times. And uh, not to speak ill of, of uh, myself, yourself, but the truth is her Yom Kippur dress, uh, she could probably darshan us under the table. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, so, and then, and then, you know, Senator Lieberman and Rabbi Sachs, uh, you know, Zechat Sadiq we really miss him. Of Shlomo Myers, former Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, um, uh, uh, so it's really and the head of the RCA. So we really opened up and then we have this platform, you know, 100, 200 people every week. And uh, it continues to this day, even though now the show is, uh, is back, uh, you know, back on track. We're meeting every week and we have uh, lots of people in person, but we've held on to that uh, Zoom Shabbat because that's a point of connection for so many people. I, one of the questions uh, from an old friend of yours from way back from Howard Karish, he was asking me, uh, Howard asked, the government is good with it, but how are the general people, the general population there? Um, the general population are good with it. I mean, um, let me say it this way. The idea of welcoming the stranger in really in the tradition of, of Avram, open tent, whoever's passing by, is so deep in the DNA of, 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 uh, of the United Arab Emirates. And these tribes were veteran, veteran tribes. They understood the vulnerabilities that came with the desert being uh, a traveler. And it, it, it's so deeply embedded in their culture as well as recognizing and respecting um, other religions. Uh, I'll tell you, being involved in the construction of the, the design, the architecture of the Abrahamic family house, the synagogue portion, um, they did not want to um, sacrifice a single detail. They wanted the entire shul, mikvah to be built mahajim and mahajrin and not, not uh, they didn't want to cut any corners. So this kind of respect uh, for, for others' religions, I know it may not fit with uh, the stereotype that many Americans, many American Jews have of Arabs, that is who uh, the Emiratis are. It's it's not just uh, it's not slip service. Not just, they, uh, unlike other um, other countries in the Gulf, and I'm not speaking ill of them, but but uh, 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 this is not a lip service for the Emiratis. This is indeed indeed you know that. In, in Saudi Arabia, for example, there are no churches, no synagogues, no other houses of worship because the Arabian Peninsula, according to some schools of Islam, is considered sacred Muslim territory and, and you cannot have a house of worship of another religion. The UAE is on the Arabian Peninsula and there are, of course, large mosques, actually one grand mosque, which is amazing. Um, but there are also, they've built Hindu temples, they've built churches. Actually, when the oil revenue started coming in in the early 70s, one of the first things that the founder of the country did, Shay Zayed, is he took that money and he built a church. 
because he, he was, it bothered him that the Christians, the, at that time mostly British, who were there and who would, were, were, had assisted uh, in, in, in the development of the country, that they had to travel, you know, four hours out of uh, Dubai at the time, or out of Abu Dhabi, they had to travel a long way to get to a church for Christmas. It bothered him. And he said, were that's not Jews, a way, that's not a way to- Were there Jews in Dubai before recent times? No. No, 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 not, not, not at, at the, t the country was formed in 19, in the 1970, 71. And at that time there were no, um, you know, no publicly identified Jewish people. Look, it, it, it's happening and very uh, trickle. I am hearing from some people um, who are saying, you know, actually, you know, going back several generations, my great, great grandmother, great, great grandfather are from a Jewish tribe. Some of those people had come of those tribes had come from Yemen, but in terms of um, identifying as Jewish, no. Um, and so the Jewish community are, are really uh, expats. Um, some of them have been there for a long time. So there's one fellow I know, he's been there for 40 years. He grew up there. Another person I know who's uh, was you know born there 30 years ago, but there was not an established community. The one remnant we have of like a very old community is from about uh, 500 years ago. We've, uh, there was a tombstone that was found in the Emirate of Ras al-Khaimah. If you look on a map, you could see that there's uh, the Straits of Hormuz and there's an island of Hormuz, which is, uh, which is Iranian territory now. And, um, and there was um, on Ras al-Khaimah, which is, which is you know, the coast uh, for the island, uh, there was a tombstone that was found, which is written in Judeo-Persian. Uh, and in all likelihood, um, these were there. It's hard to know whether that was just one person or there was a community. Obviously, if a Jew dies and someone sets up a tombstone, especially using Hebrew characters, you got to assume that there were other Jewish people there, at least for the burial, at least. Um, and, and in all likelihood, it was a migration from Hormuz and the Jewish presence on Hormuz is now being documented by a phenomenal historian at, uh, at NYU Abu Dhabi named Mahnaz Yusuf Sadeh. She herself originally from Tehran, an Iranian Jew, Persian Jew, and she's documenting the movement of, uh, of Jews throughout the Gulf, specifically in the 16th, 17th centuries, and, um, and has unearthed uh, uh, texts uh, that were written in Judeo-Persian uh, preserved by the Catholic, by the Vatican, by the Catholic Church, uh, specifically a book of, uh, of Tobit, Tubia, and, um, and which was written in, in uh, Judeo-Persian. Crazy. And do you see this expanding and growing in terms of Jewish presence? Is this going to be more of a, of a community that serves a small group and then others who are coming and growing on a regular time? I mean, look, I think that the Jewish community there, you, you got to imagine uh, the scene now with uh, literally tens of thousands of Israelis uh, walking around Dubai, doing business deals, touring, indoor skiing, uh, shopping uh, at the beach. I mean, uh, those images that you see of Ben Gurion uh, uh, Airport, with the crowding, those are all people who are headed, who are coming back from 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 Dubai. Kosher restaurants opening left and right. I got a caterer 
a kosher caterer who's hosting weddings, wedding from wedding after from wedding after from wedding, because uh, one of the only places that people can gather safely in the world. And he's like, I'll do anything. He's like, I'll pay for a mikvah. I got so many weddings happening here. Isn't it a mikvah? And, and uh, so it's the opening of the floodgates. And look, as the, and the community is small, it's, it's, it, it, but it's going to grow. I mean, it's, it's going to grow. There so are how many, how many schools. There's only one shul right now. So right now there's, there's really two. Um, there's a, there's a, a Chabad that started about eight months ago, nine months ago. And, uh, and then there's the, the established community that's been there um, that really got started even before I, my first trip, you know, 2006, 2007, there was a nucleus of families that were doing things together. Uh, the, the regular Shabbos Minions started in 2013. So, but now, look, I mean, it's funny you talk about shuls. Now there are hotels that have their own Sifrei Torah, have their own kosher kitchen, uh, uh, it, it, and 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 they just function under the knowledge that they're going to have X number of uh, of Jewish and kosher tourists every week and find or you know a mashgiach slash rabbi from Israel and uh, who takes who's there for you know for this month or for the next two months. So uh, when it comes to the building of sacred spaces, and this is important for people to realize, religion is generally. Uh, tightly regulated is it's a, I mean, it, when it comes to the way things work. So it's so uh, the hotels. I have to get a permit in order to hold these services, to construct and establish a a, a synagogue that is not just to rent a villa, which is what we were doing, what we did in 2017, but to build and own a synagogue in a permanent way is not easy work. I mean that is. It, it is not so easy to to have that established, and um, and for security reasons, regulatory reasons, generally speaking, they only want one in each city. So in in Abu Dhabi, of course, the government itself is building this this major complex: uh, mosque, church, synagogue, three independent buildings connected underground by an educational center and above ground by by uh, gardens. That's Abu Dhabi. In, in, in Dubai, there's not yet a synagogue built. Um, and you have to understand, like for, for Catholic, the Catholic Church, uh, there's one. For Hindus, there's one. Um, and some of these places have tens of thousands of people that come every week. And, and it's a learning process, I would say, for the talk about Dubai for a second, for the Dubai authorities to learn about Judaism. You know, they haven't seen this before. They know about it. There's stories in the Quran, but they've never seen Jewish people. And I think that there's a bit of a learning curve. When I was talking to somebody who was, you know, worked with different religious groups, and uh, and and uh, he said, so, uh, so how many people, because he heard that there were two places that people were meeting. He's like, okay, so how many people do you have in each? So I said, well, it's about 40 over here, about 20 over here. He says, oh, 60,000 people. That's not bad. <laughs> because, and then I said, no, 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 not, not 60. I said, just 60. That's it. That's it. That's, what, that's what's happening. He's like, 60? Why would you have two places? Why, why don't you just all get together? And so, you've, and, and so, so you know, there's a, definitely a learning curve. There's a lot to be learned from. Uh, um, and, and also a lot for for. for Jewish community to learn about the 
about the Emiratis and, and how to function. I mean, uh, I, I mentioned regulation. It's not always clear to which government agency, and this is really the work of the of community building. I mean, it's establishing establishing on, on, on firm footing the first new Jewish community in the Arab world in centuries. So, so to do, we have to understand what is the nature of, this, of, of the government agencies and what are their interests and how do we do it? Like some things are already second nature for, for you, uh, for us here in the United States. Um, you know, we get, okay, so there's a freedom of religion clause. You want to open a show, you go, you file a 501c3 status, you get a few, a few trustees and you put together one page and you send it in and, and, and you can start oper operating. And that's, um, that's an American model, uh, but that's not the only model. And so understanding, okay, hold on a second. So who, which government agency would be regulating uh, Kashrut? Can anybody just you know, put a stamp on a food item and say, this is that? I mean, Kashrut in the United States is regulated a bit, not so much, but it, but it is regulated. You know, you, just, you can establish a business and then you put it on a product and it has to have their, it is regulated and it's developed over time. Um, so it's not just about assembly, it's also about Kashrut. It's also about, you know, uh, managing uh, 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 spaces or, you know, weddings, divorces, laws of inheritance. Um, there are some things where, where uh, it, I mean, the, the law has since changed, but where the default for particular issues, particularly on family status, uh, on personal status, family issues, things default to Sharia courts where there's, you know, where, where it's religious law. Um, so could you do a, to, to do a wedding in Israel, and I'm sorry, in the, UA, in the Emirati, in, the, in UAE, do you need special permission based on a Sharia law provision? Uh, good, good question. So uh, look, right now, so th that's a really good question, right? Because, because uh, and there you can imagine that between different government authorities, they're in the process of figuring out, okay, uh, Rabbi Matanki wants to do Masada Kedushin for a Chicago couple, met at Camp Mosheva, and they want to uh, I, I get married at the Atlantis on the Palm, which is where we had Rosh Hashanah services. So do you need a special issuer? I mean, think about Israel when you go to Israel. So you could decide if you want it to be registered by the Rabbanut, you, you show your, you know, you show your credentials, you're working on advance and you register. But if you just want to have a party and want, a couple wants to get married and then they'll register in the United States, like that's all. So they're in the process of figuring out how exactly that's going to work for now. For now, if it's Halach Lamaisa, yeah, if you want to get married there, you can bring Rabbi Matanki and, you know, have to apply for any special issuer. But my interest is really in the long term. So one of the things that, that we did actually, I mean, goes back uh, uh, two years. Two years ago, um, what, what I learned from other religious leaders in the United Arab Emirates is that each community had at its founding a moment where uh, a leading member of a royal family uh, had kind of come and kind of blessed the, the, the community and the community's presence. So whether it was at a groundbreaking for a house of worship or something else like that. And, and, and I noticed in the churches or, or temples that exist, very often there's, there's an image or a picture of that moment. 
And because 2019, as I mentioned, was themed as the year of tolerance, uh, it seemed like the right time to try to bring something like that to the fore, as well as just to express gratitude to the leadership of the country, uh, knowing full well that the establishment of a Jewish community, a Jewish community that feels safe and is beginning to flourish, uh, is not to be taken for granted. We began a process of initiating that kind of encounter. And the idea was to do something historic, which was um, to suggest that we dedicate a Sefer Torah to the memory of Sheikh Zayed, who is the founder of the UAE. You know, that story I told you about right. tolerance being in the DNA. And, and his sons were very much, you know, keeping in that tradition. And, um, and that we would dedicate it to Sefer Torah and that that Torah would be gifted, would be literally handed over to, uh, to the royal family. And um, I, I asked uh, John Sexton, who I mentioned earlier, who was the president of NYU uh, at, the, at the time, and I asked him if he would raise this with, uh, with His Highness, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi. And he agreed. And, and about two years ago, almost to the date, he, um, he approached His Highness. He read him an email that I had written it. And, and uh, Mohammed bin Zayed began to cry. He was moved to tears by the gesture. And about a year ago, uh, we had a, a very moving, very, very moving ceremony. Uh, a small group uh, and in the, um, with His Highness. And actually just yesterday there was, uh, and we've been chronicling this story. So just yesterday, uh, we released a trailer of a documentary and some of the footage from that ceremony is, is in that trailer. I can share it with you if you'd like. Um, but that really is a moment. And, and there has never been the kind of trust. And this predates Abraham. It's not about the Abraham Accords. This is, this is uh, the stories are amazing. And I, I thank you for your time. I made a deal with your assistant, Kylie, that it would be 30 minutes. But we only got to about half of the questions I wanted to ask. So after you come back, hopefully I'll be able to schedule another time with you. Rabbi, what you're accomplishing on campus is legendary. And now what you're accomplishing in the Arab world is truly a Kiddush Hashem, which is the right time of the year to talk about it, since everything seems to have been right around Hanukkah time. Your visit and these events as well. Exactly. Uh, so, so you're bringing the light. And uh, I thank you so much for joining me for the half hour. It is great to see you again. Please extend my best to your wife and... Please, at the same time, continue to do these wonderful things in the United States and in the Arab world. And we should be a, make this a model of ways we can all live together. So I thank you very much and wish you a Chag Urim Sameach. Thank you, Yehuda. It's great thank to see you, you again. Thank you. Chag Urim Sameach. Bye-bye. Thanks.